Welcome to another episode of Toad's Tunes. My name is Toad. Today we got to sit down with the one and only David Now, one of my favorite artists from some old school country to some new country. We got to sit down and we talked music. We talked COVID. We talked fear of heights, family, having new kids. Man, he's got twins. How crazy is that? Trips to Waco, Austin, because I was just there. You know what? Enough's enough. Let's get to know David Now. It ain't the middle of the night. Welcome to another episode of Toad's Tunes. Today, sitting down with Mr. David Nail. Welcome to Vegas, sir. Thank you for having us. Where were you last night? Last night, we were in Tucson, Arizona. Just about as hot. It was. It was. Uh, it may have been a touch hotter. Um, but then again, I was outside a little bit more yesterday than I was today. Was your show indoors? It was, thankfully. Did you play golf or something? No. What were you doing outside so much? Uh, we went. We drove up to Phoenix to watch the Diamondbacks game, which that wasn't outside either. But I just feel like we we were just for whatever reason. Um, yesterday we had more or less the whole day, so I just kind of explored a little bit. Right? You find anything cool? Not particularly. <laughs> I was a little early for everything that I tried to do. I tried to go to the campus and walk around and uh, University of Arizona, and it was everything was closed and you right. Know, they have summer hours, so I I wasn't thinking of that. I just got back last night from, I went to Austin, Texas, uh, spent a couple days there, then went to Waco for four days. Uh, went to a water park there, and that was the only lifesaver I would say that I had was the water, because it was hot, 100, 104, like 50 plus percent humidity, uh, not my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, one of the hottest experiences I've ever had in my life was in Waco. I went on a road trip um, with my wife, and we only had two kids at the time, and um, we were going through texas but the only way she agreed to go that far into texas was if i took her to waco so she could see the silos and um i can't remember the family's name but the people who fix up all the houses yes, and stuff we uh, went there um um not monogram joanna Gaines. yes i just pulled that out of my rear and that was good um and so i agreed to it and then we went down there and it was just so miserable i mean it was like and the only Beyond food miserable. they got is those food trucks outside. And there and, was lines everywhere, and <laughs> and um, everybody was just trying to get inside and and not even buy anything. They were just hanging out inside, and it was just packed. And she even admitted, thankfully, that it was brutal, and so we didn't have to stay too terribly long. But, I mean, we drove. We were staying in Fort Worth, and so we drove an hour, an hour and a half to go down there for maybe an hour and a half. I think it's called Magnolia's. Yeah. I think that's the name of it. We we actually went there, and the, the lady inside the store, because we went into the store because it was so damn hot, I said, Are, the only food you guys have here is the food trucks. And she said, we have the restaurant, but it's pretty much always sold out. But if you go to the food truck, she goes, if you go to the Perks, which is the coffee shop, she goes, there's tables in there. So I literally just beelined it straight there, grabbed my laptop, and did some work. And I sat in there while everyone else did the shopping, because I wasn't about to... It was so damn hot. Yeah, it was brutal. Thankfully, um, we did the zoo then, but I know it was probably about this time of year, so it was just a asinine thing to to do. Silly. We yeah, I will agree. I wasn't I wasn't super stoked. We went to Waco to go to the water park. They have a, a surf lagoon there. Um, Never heard of it. It's called uh, Waco Surf. And they've got like a, a slide thing there that's pretty rad. They got these four slides that you jump into a lagoon, and they've got a cable park for wakeboarding. Um, wow. it's, it's just like a, a it's a haven for water sports. And rented a cabin there, stayed there for four or five days. It was it was cool. I mean, the only thing that was the savior again was the water. 
Yeah, I'm not a huge water sports guy. I, I tried skiing growing up and always had issues. I always was fearful I was going to get hurt, and I right. played a lot of sports, so I was always a little nervous that I was going to tear an ACL or something. You would hear stories about people getting really, really hurt, so I was always a little scared of that. I Plus, I'm scared to death of heights, so... We went to Austin is where we went first, and we we're uh, we went to a place called Barton Springs. My buddy Jeff just jumped in this water, and it was uh, it was I wasn't getting in the water where all these other people were because it was very uh, I don't even know how to put it. I just I wasn't comfortable in my surroundings. People yeah. were smoking weed, they were drinking like crazy, like not paying attention to their kids. It was just one of those environments. It just wasn't for me. Well, we went down a ways, and there was this bridge, and these people were jumping off the bridge oh, into the water. Well. Out of all my friends that were there, I'm the only one that did it. Oh, wow. I got up on the thing. It was a 30-foot drop, and it was... No chance. Yeah, it was fun, man. That was that was the funnest part. <laughs> yeah, there's no chance. I always tell people that, like, they'll ask me, like, if I could skydive or bungee jump or all sorts of things because they, they know how terrified I am. And I said, man, you know, I honestly think you could put, like, a million dollars cash in front of me and just say, hey, this is yours free, free and clear if you do it. And I, I would say no just because... I honestly think I would have a heart attack. Before, yeah. I wouldn't even be able to enjoy it, so it wouldn't be worth it. 21 years old, my my buddy Nick uh, called me on my birthday, and we may, maybe drank a few too many the night before, and he was like, um, meet me at North Las Vegas Airport and bring your checkbook. And I went, why? And he goes, because last night, don't you remember saying that? You'd do anything on your birthday. And I went, uh, okay. I jumped out of a plane. Wow. 21, I'll never do it again. I mean, I shit my pants. Like, I was scared, like. Uh, perfectly good plane. I don't know why I jumped out of it, but I, like again, I would never do it again. I don't like uh, I don't like super heights. Not a not a fan either. Yeah, I get the the like jelly legs yep. and stuff where um, you and feel it's it in crazy places. With, well, like in the older you get, too, like the worse it is. Like spinning things used to never bother me, but I, I took my um, oldest daughter on a merry-go-round, and like the second time around, I just like almost like collapsed to like one leg and i just remember putting my hand on the small of her back and just saying i promise i'm okay just i just can't open my eyes <laughs> and it was just like this little rinky dink mario around but it, like i said it never used to bother me but for some reason like i guess in old age you things you get a little bit more sensitive to things like that yeah i don't i don't know how i jumped off that bridge because I, i'm not a huge fan but there was this little 18 year old kid his name was sydney that was next to me and he was like if you jump I'll jump. And I'm like, dude, I'm old enough to be your dad. Like, And then it was just like one of those camaraderie things. We looked at each other. This other guy counted three, two, one, and we literally sat on the end of the thing and just threw ourselves How off of it. How deep was the water? I touched the bottom. It was probably 12 feet. But I was watching these dudes do d- double backflips. Like, I wasn't the first one, but I was watching these dudes like do all kinds of stuff off of it. And they nothing. They didn't say anything. But I, when I went in, I went to the bottom, but it was I wasn't moving fast or anything. So, again, I had some some room but when i pushed up i was able to push up to the top wow but yeah it was kind of sketch but then after the fact i was like yeah i don't know if i'd ever do that again because it was i don't didn't know what was underneath me i was just in the heat of the moment everyone was like dude do it and i'm like okay took my shirt off had my my shorts on i was like jumped right in more power to you man something like that and i'm not a, a roller coaster fan i'm not a spinny fan i don't get any of that the the main reason why we went to waco was to go to the surf lagoon because i bought a, a boat that i could surf behind for a while and I, that's i did it for like three years straight i loved it because you're only going like 11 miles an hour if you fall 
doesn't hurt. Yeah. The motor's in the props underneath the boat, so it can't get hurt there. I mean, the worst thing is the board could hit you, you know? So yeah. that's... Which I got would probably happen if I did it. <laughs> it happened to me a couple times. Nothing crazy, but surfing on a wave versus surfing behind a boat, totally different. Not even in the same vein. But in essence, the same board. Uh, they gave us a long board. That's the only thing. If I could go back, I'd probably bring something a lot smaller. A short board because you have a little bit more control with it, and I'd love to spend more time out there with it. I, it's something I could pick up fairly quick. Didn't take me long to surf behind a boat, and I'd never done it before. Wow, it's fun though. That's pretty awesome. And in in Austin, our first two nights there, we went to Congress Bridge, and when the sun goes down, there's about 1.5 million bats that fly out underneath it and fly out for the night, and they come back before the sun comes up. I don't know if you ever heard of that before. No, and I've been to Austin. I went to Austin City Limits a couple of times. Or, sorry, not that. Uh, South by Southwest a yep. couple of times. Um, heard a lot of crazy stories and did a lot of stupid things. But um, Good old 6th Street. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the last time that um, – I feel like I've got random stories about Austin every time I've been there. The, the One of the first times I ever went there – um, I went to a Billy Currington Sugarland show, and Billy had just got back from like staying in Hawaii for a long time, and he'd been running on the beach like barefoot, and so he decided that he was just going to run barefoot, like everywhere. Wow! And not the it, same. It was probably like, you know, about this time of the year, so it was you know hundred degrees outside, and Billy had gone running barefoot like across campus at the University of Texas. And I guess eventually he got far enough and his feet were like burning hot enough that he had to stop at one of those like emergency line phones and call and be like, Hey, uh, I mean, I'm assuming he was just like, Hey, I'm Billy Currington. You tell somebody to come pick me up. And I remember looking at his feet that night and there were just blood blisters everywhere. And I just remember looking at him going, what, like, what, how did you think that was going to end up? Right. You know, sand, in Hawaii versus a hundred degree pavement, like, it and he wasn't, didn't feel it. Yeah, I'm sure that's why he obviously stopped. No, I'm saying like the whole point to get to the blister. I would assume he'd feel it. Yeah, I mean, I think he was just like, maybe he thought it was some sick like competitive challenge or something, and it just got to the point where it was too significant to continue on. Pretty nuts, man. You uh, you got some new music out. I do. Um, we play it on Country AF Radio. Thank you. I'm um, trying to think of the name of the single. Sunset Carousel. That's it, Sunset Carousel. We've been playing it probably for about a week and a half now, maybe two weeks. Thank you. And uh, cool tune. Thank you. Uh, you've been around quite a while. Yeah. Um, I think, is it Red Light? That's mm-hmm. probably one of my favorite tunes. Thank you. Love that song. Thank um, you. I think it came out in 2009, so it dates me a little bit. How did you get started in the industry? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I moved to Nashville out of high school. Um in the fall of 97 and I played junior college baseball at a school there called Aquinas College that no longer has sports in fact like literally we like started that year and word kind of got out that they were going to get rid of sports and become like a four-year liberal arts school right so immediately people started transferring or looking at other options and I was a small town kid and and Nashville is obviously significantly different than it was back then but to me, Nashville was a huge place, and, and it was super intimidating. So um, about six months was all I could handle. I moved back home, went to a couple of different colleges, thought about playing baseball again, and then in the end, um, I guess 
about 16, 18 months after I moved home the first time I moved back and spent eight months just more or less sitting in an apartment, writing songs, selling boots during the day. And um, just as I was getting ready to move home again, I met some um, a couple of girls via some guys that played on Belmont University's baseball team. And they sort of had this brainchild of, like, hooking me up with this girl. So, like, her dad was, like, this huge producer. And, like, they just had this whole, you know, mastermind plan. And I was just kind of like, you know, I don't really want it to happen like that. I'd like it to be a little bit more, like, organic, norm- normal, yeah. you know. And, uh, but one night, um, you know, we started hanging out and became pretty good friends. And then one night, I guess I'd had, you know, a couple of too many Diet Dr. Peppers and decided that uh, I would finally sing for her. And I remember she just started crying. She just said, this is like one of those, like, you know, fate moments where it's obvious that I'm supposed to take you to my father. And so um, just as I was getting ready to move back again, I ended up playing in a studio, not much bigger than this, for Keith Stegall. And eventually, after about an hour, Luke Lewis, who was the head of Universal at the time, or the head of uh, MCA and Mercury Records, he came over and in a roundabout way, they offered me a record deal on the spot. Nice. So, And that was in 90... That would have been probably the spring of 2000, probably. Um and so I wasn't even 21 years old yet. And I remember I went to an Applebee's and called my mom and said, Mom, I'm not exactly positive, but I think I may have just gotten a record deal. And, like, there was no talk. Like, I hadn't told them about anything that was going on or anything that, like, any prospects I had because, in reality, I didn't think that they were any prospects. I just thought, you know, I'm going to go sing for this guy, and he's going to be like, hey, you know, keep practicing. Right, because that's the norm. Yeah, Exactly. Well, that's kind of cool. And so you end up staying in Nashville. You Been still live in Nashville? Since. Yeah. Well, I live about 35 miles south now. Okay. Town called? Thompson Station. Never heard of that one. Thompson it's just Station. south of Franklin. Okay. I know where that's at. Yeah. It's just like the next community past Franklin. How many kids you got? Three. Three. How old are they? Six and a half year old twins and a 21 month old. Oh, wow. Damn. Yeah. It's a full house. It is a full house. They musically inclined the twins at all? They sports inclined? Um, you know, I think my the I have boy and girl twins. I think the my girl is the more naturally gifted athlete, but she's not interested in any way, shape, or form. She, we tried to play, try to get her to play soccer. All she did was cartwheels on the field, um, and flirted with the boys, and argued with us trying to get <laughs> her to focus. Um, I would literally just do the eye thing, like. I'm watching you, like, focus. Like, I can see you're not focusing, you know? And she would just do it back to me and stick out her tongue. Um, (laughs) My son has played a little bit of baseball. He's kind of on the fence about it. He says he wants to try soccer. My, 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 his sister is definitely the ham of the family, loves to perform, will, like, like, dance on command, like. All right. Sings a little bit. Um, I definitely think my son is the more naturally gifted singer. Like he has a more of a like a a pure voice, and he's got a really good tonal memory. Meaning, like he can hear something once, and thirty minutes later, he's like still singing it. It's kind of cool. So it kind of sticks in his brain. But what does mom do? 
Mom is uh she works now. She she um when we got married, my wife my wife is one of those people that is like all about like what's her current passion. And we have lots of passions. Sure. Over the thirteen years we've been married, there have been lots of passions. So um we went to we went back to school and got our masters in education so she could teach a year and a half. And then um I guess for the last couple of years, she's done some party planning, event planning, and some small and some really big. Um, it's just kind of based all on, like, I mean, I guess she technically has a company, but it's usually, like, word of mouth. Right. And, um, so uh, that's, you know, but mainly, obviously, she she's taking care of the kids. It's a full-time time. job in itself, man. It's, yeah. Especially when you go on the road. She I ever go on the road? I tell her that. Ha, ha, ha. Because it gives you an out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, she, you know, I mean, I, my wife was the king or the queen, I guess, of she, would, she you know, would be, get her feelings hurt that she never came on the road. Then she would come out on the road, and I would catch her on the bus, like, telling, you know, talking to her friends, going, man, this is so boring, like. Right. All they do is sit in this field and on this bus and watch baseball all day and or like sports or like and then they sound check and they come back and they sit back on the bus for like three hours and then they play, play the and then they come back and sit on the bus and they're just in the middle of this field and there's nothing to do. There's you know, of course like she only would want to go like if we were playing like downtown Chicago or someplace where she could go shopping. Um so now, you know she's she's it's extremely difficult to impress her these days. Like it has to be to get her to come out like, or just, just like in general, like she's, she's so used to being married to a musician and the business and, um, just how like unpredictable it is. And so I think, you know, very quickly after we got married, she sort of became, I think like almost immune to the business. Like, she doesn't get too high, doesn't get too excited. She's just kind of like, uh. It is what it, it's your yeah. job. Yeah. Sort, exactly. sort of thing. Not impressed. It's an interesting business. That's for sure, man. I, I've learned, I've been doing this for 20 plus years now where I've booked bands, promoted shows, done stuff like that, sat with artists and everything like that. And it just, I, I've never been starstruck in that sense. I grew up in an environment that was way different than most. Like, I played softball with Willie Mays when I was a kid. So sports never did anything. I'd always go to the hockey games in Philadelphia and sit on the rail. Like that stuff. I got to see the original rat pack and hang out with them sort of thing. So I've never been starstruck. Uh, this environment has always just been cool. I've always been like, you guys put your pants on just like we do. Yeah. Just like everybody else does. And it's hard. Ours are just a little tighter. A little way tighter. Mm-hmm. I couldn't do that, dude. I don't know how half, half the people do that. I try and tell like my friends that get to see a little bit of a look into what I do that, I mean, you guys, I mean, it is that. That is the sitting there with the waiting, the sound check, the waiting. You do what you, what you like to do. You might play cornhole or something if you, you know, if it's around, but it's not like people have this vision where you guys fly to town and hookers and blow and you do your show and then you go to the next town on a jet and off you go. And I'm just like, that's not real life, man. These people would all be dead. Especially, you know, like nowadays with like camera phones and, yeah. And, um, you know, every, everybody's got social media and stuff. And, you know, I was lucky that before I have, I was married before I had any sort of success. So, um, you know, one of the biggest pieces of advice I ever got as as a kid was my grandfather um, said, you know, every time I would leave his house 
in Missouri to go back to Nashville, he'd give me like a $20 bill and he'd say, keep your nose clean. And I just always thought that meant stay out of trouble. Right. I didn't realize that there may have been a little bit extra meaning, but sure. um, <laughs> but that always scared me to death, you know, just the fact of, that I could potentially like disappoint him. So I've always been, you know, fairly under control over the course of my career, but it is, um, you know, there are definitely situations where I think it's so tame now and everybody's so paranoid about getting, you know, saying the wrong thing in somebody's recording or whatever. Yeah. That when there is one of those moments where maybe people are a little uncomfortable, they're almost kind of in shock by it because everybody's just so guarded and so paranoid that they're going to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. And, you know, once it's recorded, there's proof and it lives it lives on forever. Right. There is uh, no two sides to the story. Exactly. So, um you know, I used to have a rule like you could never um I would never take a picture with um just one girl. There had to be like two or like there and or or there had to be like another guy in the picture and Yeah. All these silly things that Well, yeah, cuz I could be thrown around in so many ways. Yeah, and I just, you know, it was just kind of I can't remember the exact reasoning, but you know, just people would give you advice, give me advice, and just say, "Hey, like I think you should do this, or watch out for this." Or, um, and as I've gotten older, I've relaxed a lot of those rules, just because I think, you know, it's it's a little um, egotistical to assume that everybody that wants a picture with you wants something extra, you know. Sure. So, um, I think that you learn that with age, obviously. And experience. Yeah. Definitely experience. I've seen some stuff roll through here. I've seen some stuff happen. I've walked in on some stuff. It's probably not 100% above board sort of thing. And yeah. uh, it's just, it's the nature of the industry, I think. And you're right. As things get get more, the phones are, are ridiculous. I mean, you look at Morgan Wallen's situation that, I mean, he was just talking amongst friends, but it can be taken so many different ways. And I think in the beginning, it was frowned upon, and now they just understand he's human. You know, and it might have been some sort of a trampoline to jump him into some sort of stardom. But I just think it's it's a crazy world we live in t- today, man. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there's definitely, you know, I think when something like that happens, like with him, like just you immediately, like, think back to, like, every dumb thing you did that could have been turned or yeah. spent a certain, a certain way. And, um and and you just you know thank the good lord that there wasn't camera phones back then or pray that if there were the person doesn't have some sort of agenda to you know get you in trouble or or payback or whatever use it against you yeah but the main thing i think is you just you know people my band we're all so lame i think we're all married now um my guitar player just got married he's the only one without kids and so um you know, last night, for example, you know, we let we we got off stage, and I was probably in bed within an hour, and it's like you you tell yourself like, oh, and then it was a great show, and you 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 you're super fired up, and you want to hang out and have a couple glasses of wine, and then once the adrenaline kind of wears off, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, see, I'm exhausted, right? Unless gotta... I'm two, it's two hours later, like, yeah, then it would be a natural. So, and you got to go and do it again tomorrow night. So at my age now, like, you just sort of, like, rally and, and, you know, 
have one of those I guess uh, experiences. It's it's almost it used to be you just needed one nap, and now you kind of almost need two naps <laughs> to be able to stay up like till midnight. You know, I lo- I look at it. I'm usually here on Fridays. I come every Friday. I book the bands. Uh, I come in on Fridays because I enjoy the music. But I'm usually here about eleven thirty, and I stay till like twelve thirty when the band's done. I'm the guy that s- settles with everybody, and I just think about the time. And as I get older, I'm like, man, I'm burning the candle at both ends because at some point I'm just gonna fall on my face out of being tired. But if I take a nap, I'm ruined. Like if I were to take a nap today, I'd be ruined. There's no way I'd have the uh, adrenaline or the energy to work tonight. I had a the first sound guy I ever had. May rest in peace, Rick Manwiller. Um, he was an older guy when he came on the road with us and he would, he said, I can't remember exactly what he, his philosophy was, but it was like, you either need to have like 15 to 20 minutes or like an hour and a half. Like, right. Like you either need to like, like, even if you don't fall asleep. So I started, especially when I had kids, like I do this little thing where I'll tell my wife, like I'm going to just rest my eyes for like 15 minutes. And I always set a timer just in case I were to fall asleep. Rarely does it happen. Usually the alarm goes off right as you're about to. But I found that even those little, like, 15-minute, like, I would stop in the Target parking lot and just tell my wife I was going to buy diapers, and I would just sit there at the Target parking lot, just lay the seat back for 15, 20 minutes just to get a breather and, like, collect my thoughts. And um, so I sort of, I wouldn't say mastered it, but I got used to it enough that I it really does help. So I will probably after this attempt to do one of those just to, because we're in Vegas and you just never know what might happen. And mm-hmm. so I need to be prepared. I drive. That's the thing I like to do. There's some mornings I'll get up. I go to Starbucks every morning, get my chai tea. And some days I'm just like, I'm not ready to work. And I know if I go home, it's not a, cause I work from home majority of the time, but I'll just get in my car and just go for a drive, turn the music up, put my phone on silent and just drive for a good 30 minutes and I've then done it before like you know if um, you know if I'm um, having like you know just one of those days where I'm stuck in the mud or kind of yeah. having a bad day or a bad couple of days like um, it's always weird like I think you subconsciously start doing it before you realize like you don't I, at least with me I don't like make the conscious decision of uh, hey I'm going to go for a drive it's like you kind of catch yourself in the middle of it. And you're driving. And you're like, oh, wait, like, where am I going? Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Why am I in this neighborhood? I like, have this run that I do on, in, in my car that I just go up the street called Blue Diamond to uh, the Mountain Pass. And I sit up there for about 10 minutes, and then I come right back. It takes about 25, 30 minutes, depending on how fast I'm driving. I could do it in about 15. But it's just peaceful to me. I roll the windows down. Just cruise. That's my thing. That's my decompress. That or my dirt bike. I love riding my dirt bike because that's the same thing. But as I get older, I've broken my back. I've broken my arm. I've fractured two ribs, but I still ride because that's that's just another thing. Fearless. Well, ten lives, not nine. I got ten. <laughs> Dude, let's talk COVID. Like, what did what did you do during COVID? You're not on the road anymore. You're at home with a bunch of kids. Um, no, my wife was pregnant. Wife with the was baby. Okay. So. Um, we uh actually what was weird was we the you know once i had kids i really slowed down on the road like you know there was no more of those 150 175 days on the road anymore um and um 
the year before COVID, I guess 2019, was the first year in a while where at the end of the year, I still felt fresh. I still like, you know, I didn't hate what I did. You know, I wasn't burnt out. I was like, I was like, man, you know, I wish we were going back on the road next week, or I wish right. we had like ten more shows. And so we had we the anticipation that we were going to, you know, play maybe fifteen to twenty more shows the next year. And I was super motivated about making some new music and. And so we started out on the road in, I guess, February, and then um, worked. We played just north of L.A., and the next day was the shutdown. Right. And so, like, we got we got home, and it was sort of like nobody knew, obviously, the significance of it. And I think everybody was just like, oh, we're going to have a two-month, you know, hiatus and then we'll figure I, I can remember my may was like crazy busy and all i did was like talk about like how crazy the may was gonna be and hey babe you need to get ready because i'm gonna be gone like every weekend and like right up until may like nothing ever got like it didn't get canceled until like right before so um but the main thing i did during covid was fall in love with margaritas <laughs> um, and we would start making them initially at like five o'clock, and um, I'm assuming that's PM. Yes, and two <laughs> two of my really good friends from college, we would FaceTime all three of us, and you know talk about like the ingredients we put in or our mix or whatever. And then it's then it just started to get closer and closer to noon, um, and I think we went from like five to like four thirty, we would just start texting each other like, Hey, are you ready? or hey, like what are you Because everyone's doing the same yeah, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um and it got to the point where my wife would even who's not a big drinker, she would just be like, Hey, like is it too early? And I would just be like, nah, never, you know? Right. Um, so we did that for a considerable amount of time and then you know, it was so weird for me because I I would go into these bouts where like I was okay and like thinking positive and then i would be like this sucks like i hate life like what in the hell's going on my career's over like i'm never gonna play live again like this is terrible like and you do all those cl- the, those classic like dang man like what if this really is it like i can't go out like this i want you know i need sure to, i need to make my white album, you know, like, and so, um, I really just started writing a lot by myself. Um, and because it's, and it was weird cause it's kind of like full circle moment. You know, that's kind of how you start writing. You start singing, you know, when it's just you. And so, um, it was weird. Like this is totally not my thing, but I would, um, anytime like the kids were out of the house or like my wife was going somewhere or whatever, or they were outside, I would just run into the, my office and start tinkering with stuff. And it was just sort of like, it's kind of like my wife is with binge watching shows. Like she'll just walk through the living room and she'll be like, Oh, I got 10 minutes. I can knock out a little bit of Ozark here. You know, like she, she doesn't have to sit down and watch the whole episode at once. She'll just get, you know, it's kind of little like, bits and pieces of it. It's kind of like crack. You just uh, get like five minutes here, five minutes there, just enough to kind of like 
but she'll watch like a whole, you know, she watched Yellowstone, I think, in two weeks. I never, I've not watched one of those. I watched the the spinoff where in the first scene, this girl gets shot in the stomach with an arrow, and I was like, I'm out. Did you watch Ozarks? I've heard. It's so weird because I, I see Jason Bateman, and I just laugh, so I can't take that character serious, even though he's really good. Right. I had a encounter with Jason Bateman at a Dodgers game several years ago, and he was like literally in character, like making this exaggerated big deal about where the Dodger dogs were in this like private area. And I, at first, it was just like, is he serious or like that's Jason Bateman? Like, I can't tell if he's just like trying to make everybody laugh or right. if he's really upset that there's no more hot dogs. And um, <laughs> so I see that interaction because I just remember standing there going. This guy's really upset. There's not any Dodger dogs. Like, just go up to the stands and get them. You know, if you're yeah. really if you're really that hard up for one. Um, and so every time I would see Ozark and he's killing somebody or making a drug deal, I would just think about him like making a big deal about hot dogs and couldn't take it serious. Yeah, I couldn't take it serious. I remember him growing up from I believe it was the Facts of Life or something like that. He was not Facts of Life. It was uh, it was uh, um. I believe at Silver Spoons, he might yeah. have, yeah, he was, he, he was, was little there. Yeah, he was one of the friends. And then he had another one, and then he, wasn't he a uh, Teen Wolf 2? I don't, I don't know that. I never, I never saw that. And I'm trying to think of the other one um, where there was the family. I don't know. But anyway, I've always been a fan of his. And he, I think not Hall Pass, was he in Hall Pass or he was in one of those ones, um, Horrible Bosses. Horrible Bosses in the one where the, he, they go on the, the trip. And yes. they're like working on their marriage. Okay, yeah. And he was all yes, yes. I can't remember that one, but he's like it's like his idea and he like gets all of his friends to go on this trip and then um I can't remember what that was. But that one was hilarious. I got into Ozarks just because I was a Jason Bateman fan, but I never I never I look at certain actors and they never change their character. Yeah. Like Keanu Reeves, like every movie, he's the same sort of thing. But then I looked at Bateman, and he was he was doing like he's funny, he's sarcastic and witty. But then I looked at Ozarks, and I'm like, dude, that was that was like a serious. It was so weird for me because uh, Ozark. I'm from Missouri, so it's like supposed to be where I'm from. Yeah, and I would just see all this random stuff, and I would just be like, man, that's so like. There's no way in the world like. That all this stuff is happening just in the in central Missouri, and 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 everybody's just clueless that it's going on, right? Like, and I'd even ask like friends of mine that were either from that part of the country or like in law enforcement, and just be like, I mean, like, is this even like remotely like no matter realistic? how small the town is? And right. they're just like, hell no, man! Like, there's no way in the world. Growing up, did you listen to just country music? No. My father was a band director, and he listened to everything but country. He might have had like a to- he had a really extensive record collection, so he might have had like a token Johnny Cash record that yeah. he just needed for his collection to be like, you know, I guess to have some variety. But um, no, I found country music it, like everybody else in the early '90s. You know, my age yeah. um, when I was in seventh grade. My dad came home, and I guess my sister had heard heard of this guy and was a fan, and he was like, we're going to Jonesboro, Arkansas to see this guy named Garth Brooks, and I'd never heard of him. 
and I went to the show, and I think maybe the day or two before I'd heard Friends in Low Places on the radio, but I obviously had no clue that there was this, like, craze going on. Right. And it was the first experience I've ever had where I literally watched this human being who I'd never heard of before, never knew existed, absolutely own, a, you know, 16,000 people. Yeah. And he held them in the palm of his hand, and it was just like he could have told everybody to – you know, do whatever, go to the bathroom or do whatever, do something disgusting. And they would have done it because they were just, everybody was in a trance. And, um, and then my, my grandmother had one of those, uh, you remember the, like the Columbia house things where you could like stick a penny to the thing and you'd get like 10 CDs. You had to buy one a month for the next year. And then you get a bill like later, you know, for like 60 (laughs) bucks. Yeah. And that was back when CDs were like $20 a piece. Um, she sent off for one of those and she had a bunch of Vince Gill and Randy Travis records and so I would, and Clint Black and so I, Alan Jackson, I would go over there, borrow her little boom box, walk across the street to our house and I would just play all these records and that year I decided that I wanted to learn how to play guitar so I asked my father to show me some chords and he would show me like, you know, I would hear a song and be like, how can I play this song? He would teach me a chord or two and then... I would learn that song and then I would get bored and try to learn a different one and that they would need different chords. And so I sort of, well, I didn't sort of, I learned how to play guitar just by listening to all these records and having an interest to be able to play them. And, um, and then while most people were content and satisfied with like, okay, Hey, I love this genre of music in 1995 and I'm content with like just whatever's relevant right now. I was like, man, I'm obsessed with this. Like, I wonder what it was like in 1985. Right. So you I went wonder back. what it was like in 75. Oh wow. In 65. And over the course of that research, um, I found a guy named Glenn Campbell who became a huge, huge influence on me and how I sing and um, just. Uh, just how he carries a melody and um i always liked that he was you know you you had the outlaw the quote-unquote outlaw scenes but glenn campbell was kind of worse than all of them (laughs) you know like but he had this like kind of different image yep um and like this wholesome like the glenn campbell's good time hour you know but in reality like he was kind of a little bit wild and i never knew the wild side of him wasn't he on he haw he may have been but i mean like he ran around with tanya tucker that's all you need to know right yeah crazy i went to his last performance in nashville and tanya i mean i don't know if she'd had anything to drink or anything but evidently that after i left um she was like run rushing the stage like demanding to see him like because it was right like towards the end i mean he was in rough shape yeah singing from a teleprompter and telling weird stories and jokes and stuff. But um, that was my guy. And um, and so I knew, like, I knew then, like, okay, man, like, I'm a little overly obsessed with this. Like, and I think that's probably when I started, you know, probably early high school. Like, I always say that they were kind of like poems, just writing poems and then, when I was 18, I 17 probably, I wrote my first song, which was 
called The Man I'll Never Be. It was about a guy staying out too late drinking, which I knew nothing about. Right. But I wrote this song about it. And Did you ever release it? No. But it was one of those songs that got me a record deal. Yeah. So And you never released it? No, but it was so silly because, like, you know, I will say, like, I was impressed that I was able to, like, tell this fictional story from a songwriter standpoint. But, like, you know, I made a record that didn't come out when I was 21, thankfully, because I was just, I didn't know what in the hell I was doing. I was just, you know, I was just, in essence, a singer and probably not a very good one at that point. Um and I was so happy just to have a record deal and be making a record. Like, I wasn't super, um, I didn't put a lot of thought in the types of songs I was recording or writing. I was just kind of like, man, I'm 21 and, you know, I'm flying all over the country and staying. And that was back when there was a lot of money flying around country music. They pay all the days. And I, and so I'm staying in, you know, nice places, Mondrian in LA on Sunset yeah. Strip and running up $300, $400 incidental bills and just like crazy, you know, dinners. And I just thought, man, like the hard part was getting a record deal. This the rest of this is easy. And, and found out very, very quickly that, you know, you actually have to work and you have to like, oh, you have to continue have a plan. Yeah. And, um, you know, the job is not done, so to speak. What about music outside of country? Is there like a guilty pleasure you have to listen to? Molly Cyrus. Yeah, that's what you listen to. I mean, if I'm having a bad day, I mean, if you, have She's you happy. ever heard "Party in the USA" yeah. and not immediately perked up? Yeah, fair. Like, um, like if we're ha- if we like if we have a terrible show or we have a great show, I might pull out like "Party in the USA" just to like either celebrate something great or like. Hey, you guys need to get your head out of your ass, like right, lighten the mood a little bit, so we can go out and do our job. Um, I don't really listen to a lot. Of, I go through phases where I listen to a ton of music. I listen to a lot of XM radio, and my favorite channel is the Spectrum of Rock. It's called the Spectrum, and it just is everything under the sun, um, new, old, and in between, and. I find myself a lot of times listening to that and hearing something, and I'm like, hmm, that's kind of hip. Like, man, maybe I could put my own spin on something like that or that sound. or. Well, I, you, you call that research in some sense, too, though. Yeah, oh, you know? totally. I mean, you're investing in yourself. To I keep learning. To, listen to a lot of sports talk, too. Right. What's your favorite sport? Baseball. But, I mean, I like them all, like football, basketball, baseball. When you hockey. talk, do you pro or you like college or – yeah, I mean both. I mean I I watch it all. I mean I'm I'm the guy that like turns on Sports Center in the morning and like my wife's like, We've been watching this for four hours and I'm like, Yeah, but I learn something different every time I watch it because I'm not like I'm sort of paying attention and I'm sort of not. Yeah. I mean I got three kids running around so it's not like I can just sit there and one hour spell and figure out everything there is and about sports that day, so um, it's always something new in sports too. Always. Yeah. It's just sort of my outlet. I mean, like there was such a huge part of my life where I thought I was going to be an athlete, professional athlete. And that was like my dream. And it's weird how, as I got more into music and less interested in sports, but I still loved like watching. I just liked less and less playing it. Yeah. It came, once I got to college, it was, 
it was more like a job and less like fun. Can't have that. And oh, sorry. It's and okay. um, and so, but it's crazy the opportunities and things I've gotten to do and the games I've gotten to see and different things by being a singer. It's kind of like I've gotten to scratch that itch of being an athlete and I've met several people and have friends that are professional athletes. And so it's like, you kind of get to see both sides just by being a singer, which I would have never expected. Well, I mean, you look at a lot of that. I mean, it's a celebrity status across the board from baseball to music, to actors, to all that kind of stuff. I think that they just get opportunities that the average person wouldn't, you know, if you were just a fan, you wouldn't have that same opportunity and vice versa. Those people wouldn't be able to have the same opportunities that you have and them coming to see you. I don't know. You always treat people different like that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's just like just opportunities. And then I think at the end of the day, like you, um, because I'm a singer, I don't think Tony LaRusso, who is a manager, I don't think that made him like me. I think if I was a douchebag, it gave you the he, opportunity he, to meet exactly. Him. It yeah. gave me the opportunity. And then it, and then there, we had to have something in common or sure. Have, to share something, some some sort of like common bond. Um, trust me, if I was like a douche, he would have said, "You're a douche. You're a douche. <laughs> Get away from me!" And I'd have never heard from him again or anybody else. I think, it, but it definitely, you know, there is something that to be said about the musicians want to be athletes. Athletes want to be musicians. Um, I'm gonna guess that your favorite baseball team is the Dodgers. Cardinals. Cardinals. I'm from Missouri. St. Louis Cardinals. So I do like the Dodgers because Mookie Betts is from Nashville, and he's a right fielder for the Dodgers. Okay. Played in Boston prior to that. And so I, the Dodgers play so damn late, it's hard for me to stay up and watch them. But, I mean, if they're in the World Series and the Cardinals are not, I would root for the Dodgers. I want to say my buddy Ian, his grandpa has been a scout for the Cardinals I'm going to say the Cardinals for a long freaking time. It's an interesting sport, man. It really is. Baseball is crazy. I don't, I can't watch baseball. I played it when I was younger, but I just can't watch it. Unless it's the World Series. That's about the only time I can watch it. Yeah, most m- most of the reasons you probably can't watch it are the reasons I love it. Like, all the things that they're trying to do to the game, speed it up and, like, you know, make it appeal to these, like, younger people and, smaller attention spans like i love the fact that you can you know the other night we went to the dimebacks game like you can get up and like go to the bathroom and like go get a beer or whatever and come back and you've not missed like this huge chunk of the game sure fair and and like you know you we did miss a home run while we were getting a beer but um you still heard like the excitement and the, right. the crowd and everything um and most people get bored with that it's not moving fast enough it's not stimulating them enough and i like the slow pace of it it's like therapy to me to be able to go and just kind of relax and sure it's good four or five hours of your day right how long's a baseball game five hours how long's a baseball game i mean i think the average is probably about three and a half okay all right a little off but they're obsessed with trying to get it under three hours they think that that's just gonna like change like the perception amongst young people and i'm like you either like baseball or you don't right if, i think you either it's like fair. it it's a, if it's three and a half hours it's like like i tell you know um you know like if i played a, an hour and a half tonight 
or if I play two hours, like either you liked me for an hour and a half or you didn't. Sure. Like the fact of me playing two more extra songs is not going to suddenly like make or break it. You right. Know? Um, so I, I think, you know, oftentimes we start, you know, analytics are big in sports now and you start, you start analyzing everything and trying to like make things appeal to certain people. And while you're doing that, you end up kind of ruining the integrity or the core of what made it appeal to in general. I I think it's a great it's a great bonding moment for the people you go with, whether it's family or friends. That's for sure. Um, I went and saw the Phillies play in the World Series. I lived back east for three years, and uh, I believe they won the World Series that year. But I used to go to those games. I used to go to the Flyers games. I like hockey. I don't love it. I love college football and college basketball, though. Like those are two things that I just. I just enjoy. I don't care who's playing. I'll just watch it because those kids are still trying. I think that's why I like the the youth in music so much, too. And and I don't mean youth by age. I mean youth by where they're at in their career. You know, it's just kind of a neat thing because they're still so hungry. Not that when they get to a – I'm going to say it like Russell Dickerson's played here seven times. I can't afford him to come back here. Like he's gone there, so I start all over again. I work my way back up with other artists, and that's what I enjoy doing. I enjoy that side of it. It's not very often we get an artist at your level that comes through here either. It's just just not normally something we do. Not that I don't like it. It's just I myself have always been that way. I hope the Killers get their record deal way back. They're uh, huge. They're huge. They're from here. They used to play at a little town. I mean, a little bar here in town called the Boston. I got my plaque on the wall that says "Thanks," sort of thing. But I look at it as a sense of who's going to be next, and that's what I enjoy doing. That's why I enjoy exposing people to artists. Let them know. I mean, to enjoy exposing artists to people and let them know that they're human and they're, they're you have the same goals that they have, and that's to succeed in what they want to do sort of thing but i love the college world like that just because of that these kids still try not i'm saying they don't they don't so much in pro but maybe not as much because if they get hurt they don't get paid yeah i mean i think it's you know i I, it's a weird thing you know when you say when you start getting paid to do something that you did as you know i think there's i think there's you know as, as far as athletes there's athletes that do it they're obsessed with they love it you know like they're they're you know, LeBron James gets out of the playoffs and he like takes two days off and then he immediately starts working out and he's posting all these videos and he's just like, you know, going crazy. Um, and then there's other people that are just born with a gift and they can make a lot of money doing it. And so they do it, but you know, not the same, they'd much rather be a rapper or they'd much rather be a country music singer. And with me, you know, I, I mean, it's totally cliche, but it's the absolute truth. Like, there are so many points over the course of the the early part of my career where I tried to get give up or I tried like I just thought, oh man, this is just I'm like beating a dead horse or this is just not in the cards or, um, and you know, in reality, I was just a pansy. Like I didn't want to like I wasn't I didn't realize like how hard I had to work or like, um, and and. But, like, I've always believed that God would just be like, dude, man, do I got to just put this right in front of your face for you to realize that this is, like, what you were supposed to do? Right. And so, um, and that's really happened, you know, if you looked at the history of the songs that I've released and the success, the ones that are successful, like, I've never had, like, I've had some hits, but I've never had 
like that song that just flew up the chart. Like it's nothing that I've, and not that people, you know, not that everybody has like just a, you know, easy run of success, but like nothing's ever been even remotely easy. So it's always, I've always just kind of like been a little discouraged, but like motivated. Like I gotta, I gotta outwork, you know, I just got to keep my head down and keep working. And, um, but I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, this is what the good Lord put me on this earth to do. Like, there's a reason why he didn't let me go to umpiring school. Yeah. You know, there's a reason why, you know, my shoulders started balking when I was 18 years old and I went to junior college at a Catholic school and I'm not Catholic and had absolutely no clue what in the world they were talking about. Like there's, you know, reason why over the course of my career every time i've been frustrated or it's looked like it could be over something significant happens that kind of reels you back in and goes okay this is what i was supposed to be doing makes you appreciate a little bit more i think yeah and you know i don't think that i've ever you know everybody said that about you know that was like the number one question you would get after covid it was like what did covid make you like appreciate it more i'm like I don't think I was ever one of those people that took it for granted. Like, um, I think that it made you miss it. Absolutely. Um, but well, that was your I, way I of life. Was, I think it was like, and that, that was kind of what I was going as far, as far as the athletes. It's like, it, it's impossible once it becomes a career and you have to provide for a family and it becomes a business for it to not change you in some way because it's like what you do for a living, yeah, you know, it's your and, job. Um, and so like it's, it is, that is something that you have to sort of balance is like, Hey, I'm staying true to who I am and I love this. And that's what makes me want to get up and write songs. And that's what makes me want to get up in the morning and catch up, you know, have like an eight hour travel day on a plane to go, you know, play one show, a one-off in Oregon. Um, but because I do think like, you know, you definitely want to be successful and, and make money and everything and be able to provide for your family. But, you know, I always tell people like that hour and a half that you have on stage, like it's like the first time I ever sang at a high school talent show. And I first heard applause and I was like, okay, who needs drugs when you have this? <laughs> There, I'm going to tell you something. So I'll go up tonight before you go on stage, and I'll announce you. Usually give away some stuff, whatever. There's been nights where I stand up there, and I don't understand how you guys can do it because it's so loud. Like, there's sometimes this this room, that feeling that you get. I can't even hear myself think when the crowd's going crazy. Or I'll watch some shows. Like, there were some bands I used to go see back in the day, and they were... It's probably like 2002, and they were more like indie rock bands, whatever. And I would go watch them, and the crowd would sing their song, and the and the singer would just put his mic down and just so, soak it up. I mean, I sit back and I wonder, like that's there is no drug that can make you feel that way. There just can't. Like I said, there's nights I get up there and I walk off the stage, and I'm just like, what the fuck? What was that? Like I don't even understand that feeling and how you guys can consume that and get sick of it because it's just unreal. And it and the reality is, it's something that you know. You know, I've been blessed with songs that that really that moved me, and then you uh, you hope that you do a good enough job recording it or singing it, or that you did enough good enough job writing it that it moves somebody else. Right. And so, 
it's like that the the thought of like I'm going up there and I'm I'm you're kind of a salesman, you know? Like I've got to go up there and sell this song and so when you get that type of reaction, it's like, "Oh, okay, so I didn't suck." Yeah. I thought it was good and I'm I've been proven right. And so it's that validation that sort of in the applause, it's like, okay, like I can do this, you know? And there's been several, you know, co- times over the course of my career where, you know, I've played shows that, you know, it's, it's, it's always those shows where you're having a hard time kind of getting zeroed in to play. And, um, you know, maybe like the crowd's not as great as you wish. And then, and, but then like, you know, people complain about it all the time, but I close my eyes up there a lot and I do it partly for nerves and partly because I'm like kind of lost in the music and, you know, I'm just, in the moment. Man. I've just never been one of those artists that makes goo goo eyes at everybody. And like, right. you know, there are certain artists that do that and that's who they are. And, and that's great and everything, but I would be, I'm a terrible actor. So like people would read right through that. But, um, you know, you, these song, you know, these songs you've sang 500, 600, 700 times, but the guitar player will do something a little different or the piano player will do something a little different, or you'll just zone in on a line that just gives you the goosebumps and you've sang it a thousand times, but for whatever reason, like it just kind of hit you funny that day. Right. And like I said earlier, it brings you right back that first time you sang at a talent show in high school and all those senior girls were down there and clapping and dancing. And you're like, you this know, is why I, always, I, do it. I always said girls like guys in, in uh tight pants, you know, whether it's football pants or baseball pants, I said, but for whatever reason, they like guys in tight jeans a little bit more. So I went with the jeans. It's a good way to put it, man. I never even thought of it like that, but yeah, I w- always wonder if it's status when it comes to that too. Married a musician, married a, an athlete, that sort of thing too. You know, what do you mean? Girls. I'm saying girls that are like that. In that sense, you say that they like the tight pants or the tight jeans or whatever. I always wonder if it's like the status of that as well. Like if they just like that status to say that they're because they got all these shows on TV that are the wives of whatever, you know, all those kind kind of shows, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, you you hope that the majority of it is coming from a pure. Absolutely. Place of entertainment or um i'll never forget like i remember playing this very early on in my career you know you would do a lot of these acoustic shows and they would be super small rooms and you know like you might have four people come up to you afterwards everybody else is just care less you know there's like you're nobody so like i have no aspiration yeah. evidently you must have sucked you know because they didn't want to talk to you um but i remember these girls um, from Sacramento, I'll still, I'll still like get messages and stuff from them. And we exchange emails every time. I remember them coming up it was like three sisters and they were like, you know what? Like you should do, try this next time. Or like, Hey man, I like this song, but like maybe you should, they just started like giving me advice, but from like a fan standpoint, but sure. totally not like a grommet, like just trying to be like mean or right opinionated or whatever they were genuinely interested in making me better and i remember it just flooring me i remember i just sat there and i was just like they asked me if i had a fan club i was like well i do now y'all are, y'all are gonna run it <laughs> i was like y'all y'all know more than me about 
the whole concept of being a fan and what fans want. And, sure. And so um, it was just fascinating. I'd never had, you know, anybody, like, critique me but from that angle before. You with, could you could have had the stone face and just been, like, not even taking it into consideration I at all. It was just such a surprise and shock that I was just like, all right, what else should I do? What else should I... Well, an open mind is a huge thing for you to actually look at them and go, okay, these people are fans. I could probably take some something. Not saying it's right or it's wrong, but you could probably take it and look at it and see if it changed. And I think as a musician, we're such perfectionists. Rarely do you hear, like, even if you did suck or even if you know, like, man, that just wasn't my best night. Um, most people are like, oh, man, no one knew. No one could hear it. You were great, man. No one else in the room would have even thought like there was anything wrong with you or yeah. whatever. And they're totally being full of crap. It's honestly when the person actually is not full of crap and they're like, like the other night I played the Opry and this guy that works for me came up and he's like, man, that's one of the best. That's the best I think you've sang that song. It was Sunset Carousel. And I was like, that means I've sucked all the other times. <laughs> well, you could look at it that way. And even the social media guy was like, Yep, that's what it means. Yeah. It means you've sucked or you've been kind of shaky or whatever. Or Not as confident. Or whatever. And yeah. I was like, I mean, it kind of pissed me off, to be honest with you, at first. But I was like, after I got in the car and was driving home, I just started laughing. I was just like, it's you, you want to know when you're not your best so you can get better and learn. Yeah but then you really don't want to know. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be towed. It's like, because when it happens, you're like, oh, wait. You thought it was okay, but yeah. someone just, like, brought you down off your cloud. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk real quick. Uh, do you prefer to play, like, rooms like the Opry or a listening room style acoustic or a venue like this that holds a 1,000 people or something bigger? Like, what's your, I don't want to say your favorite. I enjoy the smaller places just because I feel like for what we do, I need I need to at least feel like I can reach the person like at the very back of the room. I right. mean, I've played football stadiums. I that sounds terribly cocky to say, but I've played football stadiums. I played a bring. I've been on arena tours. I played for fifty people. I mean, I I played on a, a tailgate one time at a Philadelphia Eagles um, football game for like three people. It was a radio contest. <laughs> And it was literally three people. And I sat on this dude's cooler and played five songs. Wow. So I've seen every end of the spectrum. But um, I just feel like for what we do and the band I have and the songs that we play, it it's better served in the smaller places. Right. We also do, like, some acoustic, like, singer-songwriter-y type shows. Like, I think we're doing one later this next week and up in at a vineyard somewhere um and i enjoy those where it's kind of like you know stripped down like unplugged yep. mtv unplugged or something where you can kind of tell the stories and stuff but um i mean at the end of the day i just feel like that you know it's just a completely different kind of adrenaline rush like you run out and you in front of fifty thousand people it's it's just it's just a different feeling it's more of like Holy shit, like... It's a lot of people. Yeah, these are a lot of people that are, like, watching me, like... But the reality is, like, 
they're there to see Kenny Chesney tonight, you know? Um, but, like, when you when you play the the smaller places, I mean, I like it, you know, I complain about it sometimes, but, like, I like to be, like, hot and, like, you're just a sweaty mess and, like, everybody's just kind of, like, stuck in there, crammed in there together, and it's just kind of, you know, it's not a pretty thing, but it's, like, you get done and it's just it's just a different kind of rush than you know sort of any other thing any other type show they just they're they're all different they're all great don't don't get me wrong but i just feel like the smaller ones for what we do it's a good fit it's a it's a definitely a good fit i like it tell people how to find you online i'm terrible at this i'm pretty sure it's davidnail.com it's David Nail slash Twitter. It's uh, David Nail at, at David Nail on Instagram. I don't think no one was really beating down the doors to get David Nail domain names or anything. So, so you I got think, them. I think we have them all. Um, so you don't have to like Google anything cute to like figure it out. But it's not um, like David Nail official. <laughs> no, yeah, it's none of that. Um, thankfully, um, but I think you know I'm I'm not the most active person on there, um, but. You know, I have fun with it. Uh, it took me a long time to kind of get used to opening up my, like, personal life for the world to see. But I feel like I've gotten a little better over the years. That's a crazy side of it all. I mean, I like to tell this story that I went to Nashville for Thanksgiving and hung out with my buddies that happened to be artists in the world. And I come back. I posted a couple things online. And a couple weeks later, somebody came up to me and were like, dude, how was, how was Nashville eating, eating Thanksgiving with so-and-so? And I was like... What? Yeah. I don't even know you, dude. It was weird. I always say, I can't imagine being in your shoes because when you start posting a lot of personal stuff, family and all that, people, I'm not saying it's entitled, but they have a, a look in. It's, it's, it's a double-edged sword, man. Yeah, I, 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 there was a, a person, I won't say who, obviously, but um, several years ago, like when Twitter kind of first started blowing up, that... Um, obviously had been kind of glued into like my career and like personal things that I had shared and stuff. And I got on there one day and this person was like answering people's questions on like behalf of me. Cause they knew enough about you and or felt they did. And about my wife. And like, I remember saying something to my wife about it and my wife was just like, that's too far. That's yeah. crossing the line. And so I had to like reach out to him and just say, "Hey, like, look, man, I love the fact that you're like die hard and you're a fan and you're passionate and everything, but you know, some of these are wrong. Like, you're you're not you're not right in, yeah. with your answers. And then when you kind of portray that that role, then people think, well, this person must work for you, which is false. And that freaked me out for a while, and I think that caused me to kind of withdrawal from it for a while but for the most part people are just innocent you know and they're fans my wife's on social media and i'm sure my fans are some of my fans are on her instagram and stuff and see all of her stuff so you know it's it's uh there was a time in my life where i really wanted to keep those things completely separate but i don't think you can anymore i don't think it's it's socially acceptable to Whatever that may mean. I mean, just people want to know the ins and outs because you're putting yourself on a stage. You're sharing your feelings and music, things you relate to, and then they just want to know more about you. And it's a it goes back to that phone that, that takes the picture, that takes the video, that 
kind of proves what kind of person you are. So there's there's that other side. I've had I'm good friends with uh, Austin Burke, who's an up and coming guy, and he used to never post anything about his wife, and then he started about his girlfriend. Then they got married, and now they both do it. And now she's super social and blew up on TikTok, and he's super social Instagram and TikTok as an artist, and all. it's just kind of. And they share each other's lives with each other and with the world. And I think that people just become accustomed and I think the expectations there to know that, that that's as that artist, I guess you're supposed to per se, because the labels tell you to, or the PR companies tell you to, because people want to know you're human and where you shop. If you really buy (laughs) diapers at Target. (laughs) Yeah. Lots of them. Size five right now. I'm I'm glad I'm done with those days. My daughter turns 14 on Monday. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, crazy. You got that coming. Yeah. Well, my my oldest daughter thinks she's 14 now, and she's six and a half. It gets better, <laughs> dude. Thank you for the time. Thank you. Chicago in your brand new cut off jeans. You said in pain, young Colada, and I said, This one's on me. I watched you sway to the music.